Three months ago, Pastor Jared came, um, came in my office to talk about the month of January. If you've been around here for a while, in the month of January, we like to kind of take this month off and uh, take a deep breath of what we've been studying. We actually just finished Second Thessalonians and view this as a time to really just get in touch with God. Uh, more, what I would say, devotional messages, messages that are to just start us off on the right foot. So Jared came in about three months ago to talk about what we, what we want to plan for this year. So I sat down and he said, I've, I've been brainstorming. So here I am sitting in my office, sitting behind my desk, and he goes, picture this. Picture this. A tribe of asparagus children. <laughs> I said, no, too rural, Jared, too rural. <laughs> Tomatoes, those won't, those won't work. Oh, no, 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 that won't work either. I, he said, okay, how about this? Are you ready? I said, yes. And he said, here it is. Sing. I said, sing? He said, yeah. What do you think? I said, what do I think? Sing. He said, yes. We need to learn the beauty of singing again. We're losing it. It's a lost art. People just don't value it. And I said, let me think about that. That's kind of odd, singing, talking about singing. And so interestingly enough, I was, I was doing some research. I was just doing, I was reading a book. And this book was on a guy by the name of Frederick Douglass. I don't know if you've ever heard of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was a slave who became an abolitionist and one of the greatest speakers in American history. Actually, when people talk about history, they say the top three that they research are George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass has a biography of how he escaped slavery. And in that biography, he makes this statement. Listen to this statement. He says, if anyone wishes to be impressed with the soul-killing effects of slavery, let him go to Colonel Lloyd's plantation. This was a big plantation that he worked on. Like, it was one of the biggest ones in Virginia. Actually, it was in Baltimore, Maryland. So it was right outside of Virginia. It was a huge plantation. And uh, on allowance day, that means the day they got to go see their other family members, usually they'd be separated from them. Place himself in the deep pine woods, and there let him in silence analyze the sounds that shall pass through the chambers of his soul. What he means by that is he goes, if you really want to see how bad slavery is, here's what I want you to do. When you see people coming to see their family members and reuniting because they don't see them the whole year, go in the pines and just listen to them sing. And as they sing their songs, he says, I don't know, you don't even need to know the words. It will show you just how wicked slavery is. And then he writes in, if he is not thus impressed, it will only be because there is no flesh in his obdurate heart or stubborn heart. And we know some of the greatest gospel songs are from the slaves, like, Swing low, sweet 
chariot. I was at this, um, this African-American church, and they had this, uh, my professor, my teacher from Moody, led an internship there for two years to help them start a church in inner city Chicago. And he invited me because I was one of the, I was the president of our class and one other student. And they, they wanted to give him a, a service where they were just sending him on his way because he was done with his internship, his interim time. And they wanted to bless him. And they had this guy come up. He was about six foot eight. Big African-American man. And he just sang solo, a song that just went like this. He said, pray on, soldiers, and don't give up the fight. And he would, in his, his baritone voice, just reverberated. I'm just telling you, it was one of those moments where you're like, wow, there's something happening to me because of a song. Music has been given to us by God to reach more than just our minds. They sink into our heart and they affect our soul. Didn't Jesus say, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your mind, but with all your heart and all your soul? And so as I was contemplating Jared's idea, I'm thinking, yeah, I think we need to do this. I was at my mom's visiting my mom. And then we grew up in a home that sang a lot. My dad was a crooner. He thought he was, uh, he really did, he thought he was um, Dean Martin or something. You know, he'd always sing, he'd always sing those kind of songs. But I always grew up around songs, and it's passed on through our generations. And I have a niece who just has a, she's got a couple kids, and I never met him before, and this one girl's about three years old, and I, she's really shy, like super shy. Didn't want to, she didn't know me, didn't want to talk to me. And I said to her, I said, hey, have you ever heard this? Do you want to build a snowman? That's all I had to say. And she instantly is like, that's my friend. Like, what? it was weird. But our music, we are, we, music does something to us. We were driving home and I just asked Jasmine, I, Jasmine, uh, my daughter, she's looking up on what is the most viewed song on YouTube. Has over six billion hits. You ever heard of Despacito means slowly. That has over six billion hits and it's rotten, raunchy, horrendous, but people just want music in their soul. So Jared said, why don't we learn God's music and start making it a part of our life to touch our soul? And I said, can we do something for four weeks? And we sat down and we strategized and man, we, have, we could probably do three months of it. There's so much to talk about it. And so today my job is just to tell, what does the Bible have to say about it? Why is it important? Or is it just something that we should do? Actually, for a large part of the Christian church, early church, Jesus sang, and he would go and they would sing the Psalms, usually around Psalm 116 and 118, and then something happened in the medieval time where it just kind of became hidden in the chambers, and then they started bringing it out during the Reformation again. But there's something important about music, and Scripture talks about it. But to get there, let's talk about worship itself. Because when we say worship, usually worship is, in the minds of people, we mean singing. And it's appropriate, but worship is deeper than that. Let me define it for you. I've I've been looking for some definitions on what worship is, because we're supposed to worship God. That's our job. We're, We're to worship Him. 
and enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of mankind. That's why he made us. I think John Piper has the best, shortest statement on what it means. And he says, worship is the conscience. That means we willfully want to do this. Did you know the sun and the moon, in a sense, they display the glory of God, but they don't worship the Lord. We are the only ones that can worship because it's conscious. We want to do it. It's the conscious magnifying, that means expressing, showing, declaring, magnifying of the the supreme value. Actually, some people have said the best way to describe worship is worth-ship. Is he worth the supreme value and excellence of God? So it's magnifying, making known the excellence and the value of God. That's what worship means. And we can do that in a hundred different ways. I think we do it most exquisitely through suffering, believe it or not. Is God worth worth it when you're going through tough times? But I would say singing is the most natural way to worship. There's three components to worship. This is very interesting. At first, worship must begin with knowledge. How can I worship something I don't know? Worship, how do I know the worth of something if I don't know that something? So it begins with knowing. Jeremiah in chapter 9 says, don't boast about your riches or your wisdom. You know what you need to boast about? That you know and understand me. So before you can worship, you need to know. The second aspect of worship is treasuring. I think this is the most important part. There's that parable where this man found this pearl, and hid it in a field and sold everything to buy that field because he wanted that pearl. That's, the idea is that's what the kingdom of heaven should be, is worth to somebody who really gets it. And worship is, is this person you know treasured? Do you delight in him? If you don't delight in him, you won't worship him. Worship is a sign of delight. I treasure him. But the third aspect to worship is what I said during communion is to declare it, to show it. And Luke, after a man was healed, Jesus says, go back to town and tell them what you saw. Because if you declare it, then that's how they know it, and then they treasure it, and then they declare it. And when somebody else declares it, then more people will know it, and then more people will treasure it, and more people will shout it. It kind of builds on itself. There's an interesting passage in my reading that said, you know what the opposite of worship is? You can find it in Matthew 15, 8. It's the great sin in the mind of Jesus. Listen to what the great sin is in Matthew 15, 8. And this should actually pause us to think. Jesus is talking about the hypocrites. And he says in Matthew 15, 7, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Here's how he describes hypocrisy. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's what defines a hypocrite. I think that's the great sin. You can declare you're a Christian, you can say you're all of this, but if you don't treasure him, If you don't really know him, first of all, there's a lot of people that know Scripture, but they don't know him. 
There's a lot of people that know theology, but they don't know him. I've seen more people debate points of theology and miss God completely than I, can, I care to count. And then it's not just that, but it's a hypocrite doesn't treasure, doesn't delight in. And then a hypocrite clearly won't, they won't really show or declare it unless it brings them glory. That's what a hypocrite does. Look how good I am. In fact, hypocrisy is funny because it's more about me than it's about worshiping God. So if we put all of this together, that worship is about knowing, treasuring, showing. It's about engaging the heart. It's about really wanting to declare him. Then it leads perfectly to what I would say song is the perfect expression of this. And so we're going to talk about worship as song this whole month. Song is the heart language of something that I delight in. And it declares what I know to be true. It adds all aspects of it. And what's really interesting, if you go to Psalm 33.1, listen to what Psalm 33.1 says. Psalm 33.1 says, Sing joyfully, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous, or those of you who are His. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. That word fitting means it is, it's the proper thing to do when you understand what worship is. Proverbs talks about you know what's not fitting? A ring in the nose of a pig. It's not fitting. It doesn't look, it just doesn't, it just doesn't look good. But what is fitting is it's a, it's a beautiful thing when those who are his sing joyfully because it's really what we've been designed to do. Look at Psalm 35, 18. Psalm 35, 18. I will give thanks in the great assembly, among throngs of people I will praise you. So, this, so the congregational singing is also fitting. So you can say corporate, together, singing is fitting. It's beautiful. It's the natural outworking of what worship is meant to be. Something that includes knowledge, something that is treasured, something that shows his magnificence. So if that is true, I, I think there's three things that we should be compelled to do. The therefores. If we really are in this earth to worship God and singing is fitting, therefore the first thing is we need to make singing to one another a regular and relevant practice. Look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. And he's writing to the church. And he's writing, before this, he's talking about what you were like before you were a Christian, and then you come to Christ, and now he says, this is what you should be like. And so therefore, in verse 
18, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That means be controlled by God. Don't be controlled by other, other masters and slavery like alcohol. And then what happens when you're filled with the Spirit? Well, you should start speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music into your heart to the Lord. So, Jared could probably more adequately explain what psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are, but psalms are the writings in Scripture. Hymns are written songs of adoration to God. Often hymns are teaching songs. And spiritual songs are songs of praise. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 says pretty much the same thing. And then you have Psalm 149 says we need to sing a new song unto the Lord. We need to sing a song that captures our heart because we delight in Him. Sometimes we think we must only sing certain songs. We need to sing. And we need to sing because we are to treasure Him. Delight in Him. What is the purpose of this? The purpose is to edify one another. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. This is really interesting. It talks about gifts and the intent of gifts. It talks about prophecy and tongues and even singing and prayer. But 1 Corinthians 14, 15 to 17. It talks about people who pray in tongues and, you know, what if I pray in tongues and nobody understands me, you know. And so verse 15, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can... One who finds himself among those who do not understand, say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. So his purpose is, don't do things that are going to cause confusion. Do things for the purpose of building one another up. And so you have verses 25 and 26. 25 and 26, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction or revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. So the purpose of singing isn't just because I like it. It's to edify one another. That's the interesting part of singing. Corporate singing is for unity, singular expression not just personal gain. It's to edify, to build up one another. And the peril of not coming to church, the peril of not being encouraged through song is Hebrews 3.13. He talks about um, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. And then in verse 13 he says, but encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the idea is that one of the reasons we need to sing is so we're not hardened, so we're encouraged, and we're lifted up. So basically, my intent today is to say, is worship through song biblical? Not only is it biblical, it's fitting. Not only is it fitting, but we're encouraged to do it regularly to one another. And we're encouraged to do it because it encourages each other. 
And so that means, even if you can't sing, you should sing. Right, Jared? So even if you can't sing, you should sing. Because it is going to incur, it makes those coals hotter. I want to bring you to a really interesting story, and then I'm going to have Jared close our time in song. Because if we're going to sing, if we're going to talk about singing, we should sing. So a lot of what we're going to do is singing. And I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 20. I was thinking about it. There's a, I was uh, watching a show, and they have said one of the most known songs in the United States. And if I, I'll sing it for you, and you'll know it. I'll just, I'll just begin the first three words, and you'll know this song. Because it's one of the most known songs in the United States. And it goes like this. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. Remember that song? Who does not know that song? Okay, so Ken, Ken here's the course. You'll know this. So bye, bye, Miss American Pie. You know that song? See, he knows it. Who does not know that? Who's not ever heard of that? Really, you guys have never heard of that? Very good, Dave. You're not letting them have that rotten music in the house. <laughs> but the chorus is the, the idea of the day the music died. But I don't agree that that will ever be true. I think music will never die. I think music helps us to survive. Watch this story. It's the day the music survived. It took place in this place called the Pass of Ziz. I love that name, the Pass of Ziz. Second Corinthians, or Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Verse 1. There's a king on the throne, his name's Jehoshaphat. Moab and Ammon, these two neighborly enemies, are going to come to destroy them. That's why it says in verse 1, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Menuhites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. So here's Israel, surrounded by Moab and Ammon, and they're going to come make war. Verse 2, so some of the men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. It is already in Hazan Tamar, in Gedi. That means they're getting close to Jerusalem. And in Gedi's on the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat Resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. So he's alarmed. He's scared. So the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So people are, they're up in our, this is serious. War's coming. It's on the edges of their territory, and they have to seek God. So Jehoshaphat stood up, in verse 5, in front of the assembly, and he cries out in prayer, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the gods who in, who's in heaven? Do you not drive out the inhabitants? Verse 7. And then he says basically in verse 10, men are from Ammon and Moab, and they want to come and destroy us. See, verse 11, how they're repaying us. They want to drive us out of the possession you gave us. And so verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So they're scared. 
They cry out to God as one nation. Look who was there in verse 13. All the men of Judah were there. All the wives and all the children and all the little ones. So you can imagine moms holding their little babies and they're scared to death. Well, the Spirit of God came down, answered their prayer right away. And he came down on this prophet. And the prophet's name was Jahaziel. And they talk about his his heritage of Zechariah, Benaiah, and Jalil. So this guy is from a godly lineage. And he stood in front of the assembly. In verse 15, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid because of this vast army. The battle's not yours, but the battle's God's. It's a great line. Don't worry about it. God's got this. He's got this. So tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up the pass of Ziz, which is that up and look, it's like deserty, but it's a valley. They come off the Dead Sea and they climb up the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge of the desert. You have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and seek deliverance. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out and face them. The Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat bowed. And then verse 19, and he bowed and he worshipped before the Lord. Then verse 19, then some of the Levites for the Kohoahites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord. These are musicians. They started praising the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. So they're probably singing and they're praising God. And then early in the morning, they're getting ready for war. So you imagine, wouldn't they talk strategy, battlements, armies? Well, they set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord. Have faith in God. You'll be upheld. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord. Wait a, wait a minute. We're fighting a battle. Jehoshaphat. What are you doing? I'm assigning people to sing. To sing? Really? Yeah, I'm appointing men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness, to magnify the excellence of his name. As they went out, the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. That's what they sang. We sing that. So the, it was Michael W. Smith was leading the army. <laughs> give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. That's what they sang. That's where it comes from. As they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab who were evading, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. But after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. God had them kill each other. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one escaped. They all died while Judah was singing. It's an amazing story. So they plundered them. They went back towards Judah, and they kept singing. That's why you have verse 28. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. This was the day the music survived. Singing's important. Singing unifies us. Singing expresses our love, and singing declares his greatness. So there's only one application. So, sing. 